0: In several of the uh, recent articles in the newsletter, I've made reference to commandments in those articles and some of the scriptures that we've looked at. For example, in last week's newsletter, there was the quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 1, where it is stated, You shall therefore love the Lord your God, and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. Emphasis upon doing what God commands. We see that throughout Scripture. We, we find that quite often, in fact. In, in Joshua chapter 1, there was an article in this morning's newsletter. And prior to the entrance of the promised land... God instructed Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Be careful to do all that is written in it. The Bible instructs us to keep the commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments some of the commandments are much easier to keep than are others I think we can all identify with that statement but there is one commandment that we find in the New Testament that we're going to be looking at this morning and I don't know that you thought about it as a commandment but it it is it is a commandment and I think it's one that touches the lives of all of us and that is the commandment that's found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 do not be conformed to this world think about that as a commandment it's not a suggestion it's not an option it's it's a commandment it's a clear and direct statement from God now what I need to be asking myself as I understand that that's a commandment what does it mean What's it, what does it mean to, to say that I am not going to be conformed to this world? As we look at this this morning, I want you to reach deep within your own heart. I want you to examine your life. I'm going to examine my life. I've been doing this as I, I prepare for this lesson. And I want us to ask the question, how often is it that we fail to keep this commandment? The good news about this particular commandment is that the Lord also provides instruction and guidance as to how we can actually keep it. In Romans 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's the guidance. It's not just a commandment, do not be conformed to this world, but we have the specific guidance given to us as well that we are to be re. We are to be transformed. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it all begins in the mind. And what I, what I see as I look at this particular commandment is that there is this thought that is expressed in it as far as being in conformity with the world. Well, let's ask the question, what is the world? You know, it's easy to say that the world is God's creation. Nothing wrong with that. Everything that God created is good. And so I look at the creation, I look at everything that God has made, and I know he's not referring to that when he says, do not be conformed to this world. So I have to look at some other passages of Scripture. For example, in 1 John chapter 5, I read in verse 19, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, a very interesting statement where John the apostle writes that we know that we are of God and that the whole world, See that word there again. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, we don't have to study much scripture to come to understand that the evil one is Satan. And what he says is that there is this power or this force that is influencing this dimension that is referred to as the world. And then we go to chapter 2 of 1 John and we notice in verse 15 where John also writes in regards to this, this world, this, this uh, domain, this particular place. He writes that we are not to love it. Do not love the world nor are the things in the world and if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we see, we see a, a, a contrast but we also see some, some opposition at work here. For all that is in the world, and the lust of the eyes is not from the father but it's from the world so it's not the good that was created by god it's the evil in the world that lies under the power of the evil one all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the boastful pride of life it's not from the father but it's from the world and the world is passing away and also it's lust but the one who does the will of god lives forever There's the one who is focused on the keeping of God's commandments. And then one final statement in this regard, James chapter 4. And this is one that really, really can sting. James chapter 4 and verse 4 where James wrote, You adulteresses. And he's borrowing from the language of the Old Testament where we read about the Israelites who were unfaithful to God. God was the husband, they were the wife, they went after other gods, and they were therefore adulteresses because they went after the world. And he says that you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Well, when I see the world, that evil dimension under the power and the influence of Satan, that world that I am not to love, and I allow myself to be influenced by it and even conform to it, I understand why that's bringing me into a position of hostility toward God because it's, it's, it's an opposition to him. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we put all this together and we see the seriousness of this commandment, do not be conformed with the world. But now what does that mean in terms of how my life looks? Well, sometimes we want to have an outward focus. We want to say, well, we can't look like the world. Well, that's a bit of a challenge because everybody looks a little bit differently. What we come to realize is that this is a battle that is real, but it's a battle that takes place not so much in terms of how we look, but in how we behave, and especially in how we think. In Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul writes about who we were before we became Christians. And what he states in that particular place, beginning at verse 1, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to, look at it, the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Well, who is that prince of the power of the air? Remember we read earlier that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one? You see that Satan's influence is unseen, but it is very real. Real. That's where we were before we became Christians. Verse 3, among them too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now I want you to take note. He says, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We're going to come back to that thought in just a moment. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. This spiritual battle is real. And this spiritual battle that is bringing us either into conformity with the world or that is moving us to be renewed by the transforming of the mind is one that takes place. there that is in the mind but we have these spiritual weapons that God has given us the full armor of God he says in verse 12 our struggle is not against flesh and blood but it's against the rulers, against the powers against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places and this is what we have forgotten This is where we live in denial. It's like religion just becomes a trivial matter to us. It's a matter of no great significance. We're not really taking it seriously, and we're not looking at the fact that there are all these spiritual forces behind the scenes that are working against us to bring us down, to bring us into conflict with God, and to destroy our souls. And these are powerful forces. Satan's not even alone in all this. He doesn't just make reference to one. He he makes reference to rulers and and powers and and world forces of this darkness. Therefore, verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all that, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's so much there. We could take each one of those weapons and we could develop a lesson based upon each weapon. But as you look at that, you see how this is real? This is something that isn't to be taken lightly. And this commandment, do not be conformed to the world, is a tremendous challenge because of all these opposing forces. This battle takes place in the mind. It may manifest itself in outward behavior. It may express itself in the way that we speak or the way that we treat people or the things that we do or the places that we go. But it's all in the mind. And that's where it begins. You'll notice in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23 that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Very similar to the statement to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember the Kirk commercials, a mind is a terrible thing to waste? What are you doing with your mind? Are you developing your mind spiritually? Are you equipping yourself for the spiritual battle? Or are you allowing yourselves to be so influenced by that which is so difficult to to identify? that you're becoming like the world and you don't even know it. You don't even realize it until it's it's too late and and one day you just wake up and you you see your life so full of sin. He's describing the Gentile mind here in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness they're greedy for their ungodly lifestyle but you didn't learn Christ in this way If indeed you you heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, that about which Paul wrote in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, that you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. That's just another way of saying you're being conformed to the world. You're making yourself an enemy of God. You're committing spiritual adultery a serious matter, this matter of not allowing ourselves to be conformed to the world. In Second Corinthians chapter 10, when Paul was defending his apostleship, there were those who were accusing him of of walking according to the flesh. And in verse 3 of Second Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle that takes place in the mind, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's another way of saying be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take every thought captive, every thought, you arrest it, and you put it in prison, and you make it subject to the mind of Christ. That's how we renew that mind. That's how we avoid conformity with the world. So what's our plan of action? I think... It begins with prayer. James chapter 5 and verse 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. When it comes to waging war with the spiritual forces of darkness, if you're not praying about that, then you're not going to win the battle. If you're not plugging in to the resources and the power of God that comes only through prayer, there's no way. There's no way you're going to be able to effectively wage war because the schemes of the devil are very powerful. In the book of Acts, in the fourth chapter, as the early disciples began to face persecution and opposition, as they were told not to preach or to teach anymore in the name of Christ, those apostles went back and they met with their colleagues. They met with the other apostles and they prayed. They prayed and they said, God, you are the God of creation. Anyone who has ever set themselves against you, anyone who has ever sought to oppose the plan and the purpose of God has been defeated. It's happening again. In verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed for courage. They prayed for courage. God answered their prayer miraculously. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit ourselves as we saturate our minds with the word of God that has been given under the influence of that Holy Spirit. You read through the book of Acts and you see that the the disciples continued to face opposition. They, They continued to face Satan who was angered by his defeat when Jesus was raised from the dead, so he went after the children of the woman. Read about this in Revelation chapter 12. And he sought to do everything within his power, and and we see that the apostles and the disciples, the early Christians, they faced this opposition that came from the world. In Iconium chapter 14, verse 1, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks, what happens anytime a church begins reaching out, seeking the lost, doing all the things that God wants a local church to do? What's going to happen? We're on Satan's radar screen. He's going to do everything within his power to divide and to conquer. He's going to do everything within his power to bring us into conflict with this world over which he has tremendous power so that the plan and purpose of God will be thwarted. Verse 2, the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. You rely upon the Lord through prayer. You ask God to give you a heart of courage so that you can wage that spiritual battle. Something else, pray for our political leaders. You know, we want to make so much of Christianity a matter of politics. And maybe there's a place for that. Let me ask you this. I don't like socialism. It goes against my brain. I'm self-employed. I am self important i do not like socialism. I want to I go out and kill it, and I want to drag it home, and I want to eat it. And I don't want someone standing at the door telling me, Wait a minute, you killed it, but somebody else is going to eat it. I don't like that. But what if? What if I live? What if I live Would would God expect me, if I obeyed the gospel, would God expect me to stop being a Russian citizen and move to a non-communist country? I don't believe God would expect that. What if I lived in Spain? Spain is not a communist country, but it's definitely a socialist country. There are Christians in Spain. I've been there. I've met that I have told them, look, you need to pack your bags and come home with me. By the way, for those who think the way I think, we do have a little bit of socialism here. What about social security? You about that? That's, that's socialism. And I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm getting closer and closer to time when I'm really going to be okay with that. My point is, if I'm going to pray for political leaders, I'm not praying to overthrow a political party. I'm praying so that there might be an environment that is more conducive. It's never going to be 100% conducive to Christianity. But I'm praying so that there will be government that will allow me to do what I want to do as a Christian and to freely worship God. But even if that government doesn't exist, Romans 13 verse 1 every person is to be in subjection and is to be in subjection to the Republican Party. Every person is to be in subjection to the Democratic Party. Doesn't say that, does it? It says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. The Christian in Russia. When he reads that verse, it means the same to him as it means to me. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. But I need to pray. I need to pray for them. And here's why. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 1 beginning. First of all, Paul writes, and this is a commandment, (laughs) I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, For kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Fighting the battles of the mind. Pray that we'll be able to live in an environment that is much more conducive to that doing so with the understanding that we will never live in a perfect world and then finally how can we how can we address this head on well, maybe this is not a point that you would have put in this lesson but we can share the gospel in John chapter 3 and verse 16 God so loved the world the world The people who were under the influence of the evil one, God loves them. The scriptures speak to the matter, John chapter 10 and verse 10 and other places where we see that Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. When he was on the cross, he showed his love for the lost. When he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He wanted those responsible either directly or indirectly for his own death. He wanted them to be saved. He wanted them to be forgiven. And we we see that in the second chapter of the book of Acts when when the apostle Peter, a a delegate or a messenger of Christ, stood up and he preached to many of those same Jews. And he convinced 3,000 on that day that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And on that day, 3,000 were pierced to the heart. And they repented of their sins and they were baptized so that those sins could be washed away by the blood of Jesus. And when that happened, the transition from Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 to Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 8 took place. The transition... Remember earlier, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. What's the cure for that? It's the gospel. It's preaching the gospel. That's the cure. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We want those here this morning who have never obeyed the gospel, who have found themselves given over to the influence of the evil one to come out of that to be saved. And our God is a powerful God, and the blood of Jesus is is powerful blood. It's pure blood that makes all of that possible. It's amazing as I think about the church at Corinth and and, and the members of that church of of Christ and who they used to be, who they were before they obeyed the gospel. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's the point. Verse 11, such were some of you. But you were sanctified, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of of our God. Such were some of you, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Such were some of you. You see, when we share the gospel and people believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be and they repent of their sins and they are baptized in the blood of Christ to have those sins washed away then no longer can it be said of them you're lost. You're you're under the power of Satan. It can be said of them but such were some of you but you've been raised you've been raised up with Christ you've been seated with him in the heavenly places that can be your experience this morning if you'll simply obey the gospel if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed you believe that Jesus is the son of God you're willing to confess that faith to repent of your sins and then to be baptized and forgiven of your sins you're subject to that call please come to stand and sing